Thank you for, as you have said now. When we left Abraham last time, for those of you that haven't been here uh, for a while or if you're visiting, uh, we've been going through the story of Abraham and we started off uh, at the start of the month with the Tower of Babel. Uh, and, uh, and we saw there that they were, the people were trying to make a name for themselves. They completely had no idea. This is really weird. There's like a, you know, the earth has swallowed up everyone over here. That's really strange. Um, we haven't got, that's Exodus. We'll come to that later. Um, so the, the people of Babel had their weird ideas of God. God came down and said, that's not what I'm going to, uh, that's not who I am. And, uh, and, and he said, he threw them into disarray and he said, you tried to make a name for yourselves. I'm going to find this loser of a man called Abraham. Uh, yeah, a little bit of wealth, but he's a nobody from a nobody family. And, he's, and he says, I'm going to make your name great, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Uh, uh, I'm going to make you a great nation. And all the world eventually will be blessed through you. Uh, get up and go. And, and we saw Abraham as a man of faith. And he gets up and he goes and God says, leave everything behind. And, and in faith, Abraham takes his nephew Lot with him. And, and eventually they go and, and we left it there and we said, wow, this is incredible. He's following God's promises, sort of, uh, and following God's instructions, sort of. And he gets there in the land and we saw the next week there's a famine, the very same chapter, chapter 12. He goes, well, this is too hard. And he Chuffs off to Egypt. He's a, he's a loving, kind man. On Mother's Day, we heard all about how Abraham decided that, that what he's going to do is his wife at 70-odd or 60-odd maybe is very beautiful, so he's going to lie about her and say that she's his sister, which is a lie because actually she's his half-sister, which is just weird. Old Testament people have some funny things. Anyway, and he says, I'm really worried that the Pharaoh is going to find out and want to marry you and kill me off. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go right into the capital city where, of course, it happens. And God says, well, Abraham, I said I'd make you a great nation. And God arranges things that Abraham gets kicked out in disgrace and is forced back to the land. We've, we skip a few chapters there. Um, Abraham and Lot separate. There's too many of them. Uh, Lot looks out and he takes the, the really good-looking land, the, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, what happens eventually is that the massive army comes and attacks them, takes them away. Uh, the, the, the people there, there's, I think there's five armies that go and try and, and, and attack the, the, the enemy, try and rescue them all, but those five armies are beaten. Abraham and his, his ally from where he is, just the, the two groups of people, they go and they defeat this army that nobody else could defeat. They come back, they rescue Lot. Uh, uh, Abraham is met by the king of, of Salem, the king of peace, the, the, the priest Melchizedek, who's a priest of God and tithes to him and doesn't take anything else. Uh, uh, and that's basically where we're at. And then we're told in chapter 15, verse 1, that some time elapses. Some time passes. And God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, do not be afraid, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now the first time I read it, I assumed that this is following straight after the, the battle. And, and God is saying, hey, life's tough, there's battles, uh, you're going to have to fight for this, but, but I am with you, don't be afraid, it's worth it. But it's not that because this is some time after the battle. The time to encourage someone and say, I'm with you, be strong, is not some time after the battle. 
The battle's long past. So why does God decide here in chapter 15, sometime, years, months, I don't know, it's a, it's a long time. Why does God decide now to rock up and say, Abraham, don't be afraid. Your reward will be great. Following me is worth it. Does God speak now because he knows that Abraham is in a place of being afraid and a place of doubt and questioning? And I think he does. And we see this because of Abraham's response. Abraham, don't be afraid. It's worth it. Abraham's response to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? What good is it, God? You've given me these promises. You've, you've said all these things. Yeah, there's battles, there's victories. But so what? At the end of the day, I'm an old man. I'm going to die soon. I trust that you look after me. I trust that you're God. But what is the point? You said you would make me a great nation. I have no son. I'm going to have a slave inherit everything of mine. How is that me being a great nation? Unbelief comes incredibly easy to humanity. Because faith, I read this quote, faith fears disappointment and tends to hesitate. But I think also having a relationship with God, we see this time and again in the Bible, gives one permission to ask God, how can it be? And I think it's incredibly gracious of God to come and speak to Abram at exactly this point where Abram says, what's the point? And it's at this time, it's at this moment when Abraham is feeling like this, that God comes. I don't know how long he'd felt like that, but God comes to him then and says, Abraham, I just want to remind you I'm with you. I just want to remind you that, that, that it's worth it. None of us ever need a reminder like that, do we? I mean, yes, Abraham is very respectful to God. He, he says, oh, sovereign Lord, or, or to translate it differently, you, you can say, Oh, um, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, my Lord. Abraham knows God personally, and God knows Abraham. And, and I love the fact that when Abraham says, what's the point, God? You promised it, and it's not happening. God doesn't do what a lot of us think God would do. God doesn't get out his big stick and go, I promised, and you're going to have to just listen to me and trust me. God doesn't whack Abraham. He doesn't get angry at Abraham. In fact, God came to reassure Abraham. And God's still the same with us today. Why is the Bible so full of stories of God's grace and kindness if not to speak to us of God's grace and kindness? Why do we have stories like this if not to speak to us about who God is and, and how very gracious he is? And so Abraham says, God, what's the point? I don't, I don't have a son. I'm doubting it all. You're, the reward is great. <laughs> so what? It's not going to affect me. And God says, Abraham, let's, let's go outside. It's nighttime. 
or it's a vision, and they look up and God shows him the stars of the sky and, you know, in that kind of place, no electric light. And he says, just look up there, Abraham, and count if you can. Count if you can. We can't count the stars. It's, you know how far away the furthest stars are? They're invisible to the naked eye. You, you just can't even count them. And the universe is expanding. It, if you counted them a few years back, they'd be so many. If you count them today, they've, they've, there's more stars. And some have been swallowed up. And it's just like, how do you count the stars? It's like a first year or second year physics problem where they estimate how many stars there are. And they estimate because you can't count them. What is, what is God doing? <coughs> God is basically saying, Abraham, I hear your doubts. Abraham, I promise you, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. I'm giving you a picture of what it will be like. And it's a, it's a promise of plenty, but I wonder also if Abraham was looking up into the sky there, whether he didn't see the stars and say, I can't count these. And yet you made them God. You made them. If you can make the stars that are beyond my, my ability to count... Maybe you can do else than that. And Abraham looks and he believes God. He believes God because he trusts God, because he, he believes that God is who he is, because God is the God who can do such things. He didn't know how God would keep his promise, but but as Paul says in Romans 4.21, uh, he was uh, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. <clears throat> you think about it, what changed? What's the point, God? I promise you. What changed? In a sense, nothing changed. Except Abraham. He decided... To trust God. He looked at the stars and something, something within him went, you know what, I don't understand this God, but, but maybe I can trust him. I believe you, God. Was it a perfect belief? Because we all know that in order to please God, your faith must be perfect. Amen? He still went on and he tries to force God's hand. In fact, we'll come to it next week, chapter 16. Uh, he says, well, God's taking his time. Let me try and sort it out for God. But he decided to trust, to believe the promise maker. And God gave him this visual sign, a, a visual reminder of what his promise meant. And, and something about that prompted him. And, and that, just as an aside, that just reminds me of, of why John said he wrote his gospel down. He says right at the end, Jesus did many other things. Uh, we don't have enough books to fill all the stuff that Jesus did, but I've written these things down. I've, I've told you about these signs so that you can believe. 
Why did Jesus come and heal the sick and, and give sight to the blind and, and, and preach forgiveness? Why, why did Jesus do all these things? Heal the lepers. Well, he did it so that we could look and go, I don't understand who you are, God, but I'm trusting you because you are so strong. God is fantastic at how he gives us signs. Isn't that incredible that God would give us signs and not just arrive and say, choose now. We have evidence on which to, on which to trust God. Sometimes the evidence is as small as the stars in the sky, which if you think about it is quite big. I, th- I think it's like 97 trillion light years or something at the moment, the universe. It's big. And God, we're told in verse 6, counted him as righteous because of his faith. <coughs> being righteous means being right before God. It means having a right relationship with God. Romans 4.13, Romans 4, Paul spends a lot of time on, on this verse, verse 6. And, and Romans 4.13, he defines righteousness, I think, as a, as a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If you've got your Bible, just quickly flick over, keep your finger in uh, Romans chapter 4. It's, it's a wonderful chapter. In fact, Romans is just one of my favorite books in the Bible. Romans chapter 4, verse 13, uh, or, or verse 12. Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham's, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on the obedience to the law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. God's promise is based on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. God counted him righteous because of his faith. He was right with God. And as I've said, uh, uh, Paul spends a bit of time in Romans chapter 4. He also does in in Galatians. uh, Just looking at this verse, uh, James looks at us in in chapter 2 as well. And, And they use this as an analogy for how we are saved. Um. Righteousness is one of those funny words because it means justified, it means right with God, it, it means a whole bunch of things. And, and, and Paul's not strictly saying that, that Abraham believed in Jesus and therefore was saved. No, simply Abraham believed God and God counted him as right with God. The, the point that Paul tries to make is that faith, not law, is the basis for Abraham having a right relationship with God. It's not that he was good enough. It's not that he ticked all the boxes. It's not that he understood perfectly. It's just that he took a stand and said, I don't understand it, God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it all on you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And if we trust God when he says that Jesus died for our sins, that they are dealt with, then God, just as he looked at Abraham and said, I, you're right with me, God looks at us and says, if you trust me with that, we're, we're fine, we're right. Now, did Abraham have this promise earlier? Was he following God earlier? Yes. And sometimes God comes down and has to remind us a little bit. And, and what, I, what I find interesting is that, that, well, what does Paul say? 
Just as God counted Abraham righteous, so too, Romans chapter 4, verse 23. So he will count us who trust in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham was helpless to achieve the promise of God. In fact, it seemed to mock him. But when God spoke, he looked at who God is and he said, I'm going to trust that you take responsibility for doing what you said, God. Faith rests on the fact that God is faithful. Faith is, is hoping for what God promises. You don't have faith for something that you already see completely. You don't, you don't, I don't have to have faith that the chair is going to hold me up if I'm already sitting down on it and it's holding me up. Abraham's question was, God, how do I have faith when, when all your promises seem to be coming to naught? And God said, trust me. And Abraham said, I don't understand, God, but you made all of I don't know, did he say you made all of this? But he said, I trust you, God. Somehow he came to that point of going, I trust you. Faith isn't always easy. And we see this here in Abraham's doubting, and we see it in the New Testament. You remember that time uh, as I was driving along, we, we had to go into the city yesterday, and the freeway was closed, and the river was just giant. Uh, and and uh, Taryn was at a, an event, and I was up at Scarborough, and I was looking at the beach, and it was these massive waves crashing against the, 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 the ocean, against the ocean, against the, against the shoreline. It was these incredible things. And I looked at them and thought, wow, I wonder if that's the kind of weather the disciples had that day when Jesus was sleeping in the boat. You remember, you remember the story there of their incredible faith where they said, ah! What's wrong with you, Jesus? Wake up! What men of faith, they just witnessed an incredible miracle. Or Peter another time on the ocean where Jesus walks across at them. And, and, and he says, well, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you. And, and Jesus says, okay, well, come. And Peter gets out and he starts walking across and he's a man of faith. And he looks down and he says, this is impossible. And he starts sinking. What a man of faith. I love old Peter. There was faith there, but reality hit home. This is impossible. I wonder for, for Abraham. I trust you, God. I'll leave my home, but this is impossible. Or the disciples not getting Jesus' capacity to feed the crowds. I love the fact that Jesus fed very large crowds, not once, but at least twice. And the second time, they were still going, how are we going to do it? I don't know what's going to happen here. Let it not be said that I'm mocking them because I imagine I would be right there with them. <coughs> they knew he could do miracles, but that's not how the world works. Or when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and, and there was that boy that they couldn't heal. And Jesus said, you have little faith. What do we do when our faith is little?
What did Abraham do in his faith was little? He pulled his socks up and he kept going. Is that it? He tried harder. Made sure nobody knew about it. No, when Abraham's faith was little, he listened to God. And God is so gracious because God actually spoke to him. God might not speak to us in the same way as he spoke to Abraham, but, but he has given his word. And he's given us stories like Abraham's to speak to us. And so when our faith wavers like Abraham does, what we need to do is listen to the God who comes to us and says, I am your shield. I will protect you, says the New Living Translation. And your reward will be great. At such times, on the basis of who God is, what he has done, we are called to listen to God and to trust that he will be true to his word. And to remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Nothing we do can keep God's promises from coming true. How arrogant of us to think that we can stop God keeping his promises. Romans 10 verse 11 quotes a psalm and says, All those whose hope is in him will never be put to shame. There's a promise to hold on to, isn't there? Who trust that God is who he says he is good and loving and gracious, that he can and will do what he says, that he cares, that he's in charge. We have all of God's history of faithfulness with his people as testimony for us to trust him. Does that mean it's always easy? No. But when, when we're in that place, we need to go back and say, well, who is God? Can I trust him? Will I, knowing who he is, trust him even when it seems impossible? And I love old Abraham because we have this incredible high, I trust you, God. And God counts him righteous, right standing with God because of his faith. And God says to him, Abraham, Abraham. Let me find my place here. God says to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. And Abraham said, God, I love you so much. I just believe you completely. I'm righteous in your sight. No, Abraham says, God, how do I know it's true? Isn't that incredible? You go from, Wow, you trust me and I declare you righteous right back to, how do I know it's true, God? And there are some people, you read some commentaries and they go, well, actually, back in those days, you would have to have evidence for this. I did rubbish. Abraham's a man just like us. He goes from this high of, I trust you, God, down to the, how do I know it's true? And we've seen this time and again. This is a story of Abraham. This is a story of humanity. Peter goes from, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And God says, God has revealed this to you. And, and Jesus says it to him. And the next minute, Peter's going, Jesus, you will never die. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. 
Abraham's a man, Peter's a man, this is just what it's like. Abraham still questions God. Wow, I trust you God for the descendants thing, but how about this land? Because I'm probably going to be alive if I'm going to have descendants. You kind of, uh, that, that's necessary. But, but how am I going to trust about this land stuff, God? And God again says, where's my whacking stick? God comes to him and he says, right, right you man of great faith. <coughs> get together some stuff, get this heifer. Isn't that a great word? I just loved it. The translation I was working on didn't have heifer, but heifer is just a great word. I think word of the day for me, it just sounds cool. Gets this heifer and this goat and this, well, the ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon and this is like real Old Testament stuff. And God says, right, cut them up and set them out. And this is, this is a, a, a traditional ceremony from the ancient Near East. Uh, this is a contract that normally two people would make. Uh, in, in fact, uh, when, when the Bible speaks of a covenant, it speaks of cutting a covenant. A covenant is a contract. And so literally you would you'd cut it. You'd, you'd cut the animals in half. Uh, and then the two parties making the agreement would both walk through. So here's carcass A, here's the other half, and I'm walking through, and, and as we walk through, we're effectively saying, may this happen to me if I don't keep my word. And we read about the same sort of thing in, in Jeremiah, again, where God's saying, well, you walked through the carcass and then you broke your promise. What do you think's going to happen to you? And having set it all up, Abraham falls into this deep sleep and he hears God speak of the future and there's this terrifying darkness and, and God is present and, and it's just awesome. His might is awesome and, and he speaks these heavy words of slavery and trouble but also of hope and of Abraham dying in peace and says, yes, Abraham, you're not going to see your descendants having this land. but your descendants will have this land. You will die in peace. And there's, there's a reason for the delay because, because even if it costs you 400 years and your descendants 400 years in slavery, it wouldn't be just of me to do this to the Amorites now. It tells us something about God. And even then, when you come, we, we know from, from our look at Joshua earlier, those who repent like Rahab would be forgiven and accepted. And then after God has told the future to Abraham, saying, you're not going to see it, Abraham, but it is going to happen. Abraham is sitting there, and between the animal carcasses, he had chased away the vultures earlier, but, but he sees this fire pot and a flaming torch passing between the carcass, representing God. The, the fire, of, fire often represents God. If this was a normal everyday contractual agreement, both parties would be walking through the middle of the animals. And Abraham is sitting there, or lying there. He's a passive observer. This is all about God's grace. This is God using the familiar symbols to Abraham to say to him that I am not backing out of my promise. Effectively, what God is saying is, may I be destroyed like this if I don't keep my word. 
not that God can be destroyed like that. But God is saying in a way that, that Abram could not doubt but understand. Abram, I am deadly serious about this. God's the only one who walks through the carcasses. It's all about him. God would keep his promise to Abram even despite Abram. God's given us promises that all those whose hope is in him will never be put to shame, that if we trust in him, we will be forgiven, that we will be declared righteous, that we will be with God forever. And so often we want to, to listen to God's promises and say, that's fantastic, God, let, let me walk through with you on this. Because you know what? You're going to do all this great stuff for me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do my bit as well, God, aren't I? Uh, you're going to do all of this, but, but God, I have to do my bit, Yeah? Because this is a two-way thing, isn't it, God? You save me and, and I make myself savable. Grace comes and says, I'm going to keep my word because that's who I am. This is about me and my faithfulness. That's what grace is about. If Abraham had walked through those carcasses, he would have had to die. Chapter 16. Or at least be well and truly beaten. (laughs) Time after time, Abraham doesn't stay true to God's promises. You remember chapter 12 where he went to Egypt and said, she's my sister? You know the wonderful thing about Abraham is that he does exactly the same thing again. That's such a good thing that God didn't let him walk through those carcasses, isn't it? If we had to be good enough for God, we would have failed already. It's such a hard thing to get through our heads that grace says, I'm the one making this promise. Just trust me. Faith grows when it is tested. And faith is only necessary when its focus is on the unseen. Once what God promises comes to pass, God is proven faithful. God has proven faithful so many times in the past. And he will prove faithful again. Abraham trusted God despite his present situation and God declared him right in his sight. And that kind of trust is what God wants of all of us before Jesus, after Jesus. And it's not about us doing our bit. In fact, Paul looks at this chapter in Galatians and says, guys, the law came 430 years after this. God said, this is... This is how I want you to live. Being right with God doesn't come from the law. If anything, knowing what God expects of us just shows us how good a thing it is is that he doesn't expect us to do our bit. 
He calls us to follow him. He calls us to, to, to obey him. Uh, and obeying him is a sign that we trust in him. But what God looks for is not the perfect obedience. It's not even the perfect faith. What God looks for is us saying, I trust you. I trust you. I'm still going to ask you some questions, God. But I trust you. So the questions we need to ask ourselves is, do we trust Jesus when he says that he is God and that he's coming back? If so, will we stand on that and live out of that? And yes, as I've said, sure there will be times when our, when our faith wavers and there are questions, but the good thing is, and I love that this is Old Testament because we all think this is New Testament. The good thing is that God is gracious. I shared with the music group the other day a verse um, I found in, referenced in a book, Isaiah 30 verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you and he rises to show compassion. Isn't that fantastic? Sometimes real life seems to say that what God promises cannot happen. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he was coming back. I guess it comes down to a question of, do I think God is trustworthy? Do I think he's able to do what he says? Abraham said, or showed by his life, I don't understand you, God but I'm going to trust you. And God proved true. God promised him that he would be blessed and he was. God said, you're going to have, you're going to become a nation and he did. Not only a nation, he became the father of all who believe, says Paul. God said, those who bless you will be blessed and they were and those who curse you will be cursed and they were. God said, through you all the world will be blessed. And through the line of Abraham, through the line of Rahab and Judah and David, came Jesus. Now if God kept his word to Abraham, who was well and truly an octogenarian, for whom all this was impossible. The question has to be asked when he promises that he loves us and will never let us go. Can we trust him there? 